technically, although it was my for, my first loss on paper, I, I only the doctor stopped it. It was the world European and British champion in my weight class. And after an illegal blow to my eye, the said damage caused by that illegal punch, the doctor stopped it. Never been knocked out, never been knocked down. And I was practicing this philosophy up until December of last year, mere weeks ago, still unbeaten and still consider myself never been knocked down. So this philosophy is predicated in actually the bare knuckle world, the testing ground. Many would argue it doesn't get much more brutal, tested on the doors, for I still want the doors with this intent. So what does that mean? If a fighter, if a man, if a businessman, if he believes as he may erroneously currently that that edge is only from being hard, that I, I gently suggest is erroneous. It's incorrect. There's more than one. Okay, James, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, lovely. Thank you for your time, and it's an honor to be here. Okay. okay. So I guess maybe to get started, if you could just tell us a bit about what you do, what your your day to day is. Yes, um, I have two main strengths, and that is as a life coach and a personal trainer. And I actually started, goodness me, way back in 2005, I, I believe I began my journey as a qualified personal trainer. I've always loved movement. I've always uh, been enamored with exercise and keeping fit as a way of life. Indeed, one of my slogans is movement is medicine. Mm -hmm. And so through personal training for myself initially, I, I realized how important it was for one's overall health. And I do repeat overall deliberately for I knew long before it was popular to talk about mental health that I felt good in here and in my heart as importantly when I worked out. And so I remember my lovely grandma always said, if you can do something, get a bit of paper to prove that you can do it. She was alluding to getting a qualification. And so in 2005, actually as an adult learner, I went and got my diploma in all things personal training, anatomy and physiology related. And so began my journey, which is evolving to this very day, Eric, to how better serve people. And so then we come on to the fact that with, with many of my clients, although they went on a physical transformation, more often than not, Eric, the problem was somewhat deeper. And this led to my intrigue at first personally into counselling and other therapeutic models. And I chose upon the life coaching because I found the informal nature of it better suited the men that shied away from labels such as psychotherapy or the like. No judgment, but that was just the reality I saw. And so I began to work and really, in my philosophy, beginning to blend both of these so that they've got a one-stop stop source for fitness, if that makes sense. So, yes, on a day-to-day -day basis, I very much help people's entire well-being. I both hold my own practice, working from home and online, and also out of a gym where people can physically gather, because I do think particularly now in light of COVID more than ever, 
that community is very important and face-to-face -face meetings are quite vital. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I guess I'm, I'm curious about your path, how you got here, because I guess, full disclosure, I found you from a, a video that was, I think it was on, on YouTube, maybe a 20-minute documentary. And what struck me about you was you have a very colorful past. I mean, just, just looking at you now, you've got gold teeth on the bottom there. Uh, you were a boxer for a long time. I imagine you didn't always talk in this calm and thoughtful way. You, there's, you've had a very <laughs> different past. Right? No, that, that, that's fair to say. It, it's, um, it's been a beautiful evolution, a beautiful journey. And I'm very lucky, genuinely fortunate to still be here. Yes, my, although today I am, I take great pleasure in, in being calm and peaceful, very positive. It hasn't always been the case. And previously I was a bare knuckle fighter, an unlicensed boxer, a martial artist and doorman. And my life was immersed and covered in bloodshed, negativity, pain, and a tremendous amount of violence. And yet, from that rather dark and grimy foundations, it taught me the art of contrast. And I think because I felt the lows, I'm better equipped today to experience the highs of blissful peace and the importance of genuine cooperation and particularly for a man, the fact that there are other ways to handle the problems and challenges that perhaps our generation was not taught to do as effectively previously, Eric. Mm. And so, yes, although previously I would have said it was, I did at times wonder what the pain was all about, but now I see it as preparing me for purpose, for my purpose, which is to heal, to heal myself, to, to heal the clients I work with, and dare I say, ultimately the world, because we're all part of a beautiful biosphere, her ecosystem. And um, I do my part in bringing healing to that. But as I say, it has been a journey, and, it, and it's one that continues to this day, for I'm constantly learning. And um, yeah, it really is the privilege of the lifetime to still be here and to be learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the people you grew up with, your, your friends when you were a kid, like where, where are they now? How do they see you? Like how do you, I guess, I guess I'm really interested in this. It seems to me like a, a 180 transition, right? I, I imagine you growing up in a, a rough neighborhood, lots of violence around, probably violence in the home. And as you said, yeah, a lot, a lot of pain, a lot of darkness. And most people who grew up in those circumstances are, are at this stage in their life probably recreating them for their kids right that's that's pretty much statistically speaking that's that's the way it works you know and, and i guess i'm curious like when with the way you live now the way you think the way you talk um like what what do you think your childhood friends would think of all this like how how would they see you now And I guess for those that aren't already in heaven or in the prison system, 
I can't I can't really there, there may be elements of surprise. There may be um people may be silently applauding. I think there has always been oftentimes I, I speak for myself, the 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 I use violence in great part as a vehicle of self-expression. I believe we're all born artists. Mm. Some of us can sing, some of us can dance, some of us can paint. I could do none of those things particularly well. I wasn't shown as a young uh, as a young person growing up, but 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 I could fight. I, I, I was taken to uh, I mean before I started in the, in the playground or in nursery, and um, but being taken to my first boxing club and falling in love, and I, I use that deliberately, with the movement, with the very visceral act and art of moving, of hitting the punch bag. I realise now it was very primal because the thud, thud, thud of the speed on the punch bag is analogous to early man playing on the tribal drum around the fire. Again, I didn't know this consciously, but unconsciously I was drawn to it, as many men are, for their, it's a beautiful thing. At its heart, fighting has a, there's a beautiful paradox to this. And ultimately, you see, you remove the other, the opponent, and you're left with oneself. This is the arts. When you do many hours, hundreds of hours of solitary running, the loneliness and the introspection that that lent itself as a fighter, that led me, as Rumi so beautifully says, go into the silence for all the answers are there. The silence that the training and the running and the fighting it led to the introspection that has allowed me to contrast the violence and, and some of the, the difficulties and challenges therein of growing up in an urban neighbourhood to reflect and to contrast that which I did not want to that which I did. And you see, what's been at the heart of this, Eric, what has been a constant, no matter the external stimuli or circumstances, has been my quest for self-improvement. I used perfecting fighting as one vehicle, but then I realised that, hang on, my mind still gets me into trouble, for I could not control my temper. So then it taught me to, to, to seek self-mastery over oneself, cognitive, intellectual abilities, emotion, spiritually. And so this become another source of unending joy, for I, I, I fell in love with the learning process. And so as I say, just to repeat very deliberately, it was the introspection, and the solitariness of, 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 yes, my temperament, but also the training that has allowed me to go on this journey. And perhaps others that necessarily don't go into the fight world, they're not afforded this type of coming up against themselves, you versus you. I often say that in life. Many of us think it's about competition. I think it's about collaboration more than competition. Collaborating with whom? First, under God, under the heavens, with ourselves, and ultimately with others, just like this beautiful conversation is. It's a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. I cannot do this on my own in isolation. And so does this make sense? It becomes very important. The yeah. opponent in the fight was more than an opponent. He then became another vehicle or expression for self-betterment for myself. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I got to the point, Eric, more re in recent years, where the, the opponent no longer existed for me. It truly was me versus me in, in the physical sense and metaphysical sense. And I think this is, this is, 
It's a beautiful thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that strikes me as, as a very uh, a unique perspective in that I, I guess, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time with, with fighters, but, but my sense is that, that most people who fight, most people who fight don't make that transition. Um, I know some people do, um, but, but oftentimes what I, what I see is, yeah, there's the, the physical development, there's the competition, maybe that develops into self-development of some kind, but then saying, making the switch from the physical to the mental, to the emotional, to saying, okay, now I've got to work on my temper the same way I've been working on my body. Was there yes. a person in your life or an experience or something that happened that allowed you to make that transition? Or like, how, how did that happen for you? That's a tremendous question. There has, of course, been rumbles, both for ill or good. There have been, not least my tremendous parents, However, it has been a process. I think to put too much weight in any one person or thing is incomplete. And again, I stress this because so often in life, we are incomplete. And it's about gathering the whole, the, the, the spiritual, yes, but not to the extremism of many people are spiritual, but to the exclusion of all else. Mm. Many are intellectual but to the exclusion of the more gentle, the, the more spiritual side of themselves. You understand? So, mm. so we become isolated and locked in these paradigms that, yes, are powerful, but unless, like the circle, they are joined in a harmonious union, we're incomplete. And so you speak to the fighter, yes, I, you balance that, but with the, the more, otherwise what we have is a world of bullies. I'm very passionate in the clients I teach because today we have a world of competent fighters both man and female John John Jones is held as one of the greatest martial arts physically has ever lived he, he fights in UFC or did he's mm. recently making a comeback to the heavyweight arena physically almost flawless and yet unfortunately because he has not developed his other attributes his spirituality, his emotions, his mental faculties, his temperament, away from the fighting arena, his life is a shambles. His mm. life is a shambles, getting involved in DUIs, drunk driving, drunk, drunk driving, and hitting women. And these are deplorable acts, no judgment, but this is not the type of leader I choose to follow. And so in my work, as in my own life, first and foremost, I teach nothing that I have not put into practice. I wanted to integrate and fuse all of these seemingly disparate parts into one whole. Mm. And yes, I took the whole from the circle. The circle, we often see it in martial arts or the ring, you know, although it's the squared circle in boxing, there's lots of references to the ring, the squared mm. circle. So I've been fascinated in the mandala or the, the, the symbol of opposites. We have the circle again, the circle of life is alluded to. And I thought, what is that pointing to? It's that you can't begin, you can't point to the start or the finish, the beginning and the end. So this implies many things. My learning is continuous. My self-improvement is continuous. And yet it has no start and has no finish. Mm -hmm. So I am at once, it's a seeming dichotomy. I am whole on the one side and yet I am incomplete. 
And it's something I developed over time and continue to refine today. But yeah, just a quick point on that because it, it really is worth labeling because this, this the yin and the yang, the hard and the soft, in the West particularly, and I include both of our lovely countries, Spain and the UK, we, we have overdeveloped the hard. So we train hard, whether you're a fighter or not, a runner, an ice skater, a tennis, all we do is train hard. And yet, if that is not tempered and therefore softened by the other gentle arts of breathing, of meditation, of slowing down, ice baths, of a whole host of other seemingly more gentle arts and acts, then what we have is, is a bully, we have, particularly in the fighting world. So we have a bully if we're overdeveloped physically. Also, it breaks like the oak tree. It may feel like it's the, the strongest tree in the forest. And yet, in, because of its stubbornness, when the storm comes, it breaks because it tries to stand up, meets force with force. And yet the bamboo in its innate intelligence, when the hurricane comes, it yields. And its softness allows it to come back upright when the storm passes. And so in the same way I teach hardness, there's a time for that. There's a very much a time for that when we fight, when our lives are in danger. But yet the other times we must practice the softness like a, the beautiful warriors of old, our friends, the Shaolin monks, the samurai. Nobody could deny they were dangerous men of exceptional killing ability. Why is it then they protect, practice the art of calligraphy, the art of tea making, the so-called gentle arts? Because they knew that they needed that balance to be dangerous with the sword and with their hands and yet to be equally at home with the more peaceful things. And just in closing on this chapter, Eric, I want to say, uh, forgive me, I forget whether whom the quote is attributed to, but it so beautifully sums up everything I've just said. Because people often ask me, how can I preach or talk about peace when I've been a man of violence? And I say, I would rather be a warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war. And so it's that, you know, that's that's mm. very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were speaking, it came to my mind, uh, it was, I think he was a UFC fighter, an American. Um, and he started doing plant medicine um, over the course of a couple of years and ended up ultimately giving up fighting. But after some sort of big awakening experience, he wanted to do one last fight and do it in a way that felt authentic to him rather than coming from fear and violence. And he basically got mauled, like he got destroyed. But he said it was a great experience for him. He, he needed that. It was like a cathartic experience. From the outside, it just looked yes. brutal. Like he was just, yeah. I mean, it was it was a very nasty fight. Um, but I guess, I think on the one hand, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a great story. And I, I imagine he's, he's a very interesting and, and a rich person, um, you know, rich internally. Uh, but, but at the same time, I think it highlights a fear that a lot of people have in, in the fighting world and outside of the fighting world, which is like, if I lose my edge, I'm just going to be destroyed. You know, whether that's financially, uh, you know, sexually, uh, combatively in, in any realm. I think culturally what's driving a lot of this one-sidedness is a fear that, that we're just, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lose our ability to to compete in whatever realm we compete in. 
And so I guess I'm, I'm curious what your experience has been with that. Like, do you, are you still fighting? Is that something you, you do occasionally or, or regularly? Do you see that? Uh, this, my, my... Sorry. No, just, just to, if, yeah. if you see that this, this softness, this ability to, to downregulate, to, to be calm, to be peaceful, has that enhanced your ability to be more present, be more effective as a fighter? Or are you less effective or how, how does that work? Well, to give you some context, up until literally a few weeks ago, I had my last in December last year. Technically, although it was my, for, my first loss on paper, I, I, only the doctor stopped it. It was the world, European and British champion in my weight class. And after an illegal blow to my eye, the said damage caused by that illegal punch, the doctor stopped it, never been knocked down, never been knocked down. And I was practicing this philosophy up until December of last year, mere weeks ago, still unbeaten and still consider myself never been knocked down. So this philosophy is predicated in actually the bare knuckle world, the testing ground. Many would argue it doesn't get much more brutal, tested on the doors, for I still want the doors with this intent. And I think you raise a very interesting point because it's born of ignorance. Ignorance is particularly dangerous. Many of us think many things incorrectly. So if you believe, as many do, that the, the only, again, keyword that only source of power is from protein from meat, then that's an erroneous viewpoint. It's not, so you can also get it through, from plants. I, I'm not advocating one or the other, but I understand the, the intention behind it. If you only think you can get it from meat, the fact is we can get our proteins and therefore energy from multiple sources. Keyword multiple, more than one. So what does that mean? If a fighter, if a man, if a businessman, if he believes, as he may erroneously currently, that that edge is only from being hard, that I, I gently suggest is erroneous. It's incorrect. There's more than one. And this actually isn't a great leap because many of us are, many of us overstand in any other area to, to maintain to only one narrow viewpoint would be maybe perhaps considered dangerous, if not wildly immature at best. And so I gently to suggest to, to the, our listeners or any man that may be worrying if he loses this hard edge, we're not inviting them to lose anything, Aaron. It's to complement both. And I repeat this deliberately. It's not to give way to this hard-edged. That could be the yang, but it must be complemented. I say must if you're meant to be successful holistically in all areas. It must be complemented by the more gentle arts. Otherwise, in the scenario I've just already said, it will eventually lead to breaking, either physically or mentally, spiritually or emotionally, or God forbid, all four. And you don't have to take my word for it. Why at the moment, worldwide, is suicide? And it upsets me even talking about it, but yet we must. Suicide is the leading cause of death amongst men. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, roughly between 29 and 44. And that's highly avoidable. It's because we, we've done the hard, we've done the stronger, harder, faster, tougher, and yet it, 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 it patently doesn't work unless... It's tempered with this very necessary 
thank goodness many of us, the new generation, are talking. We are talking about our mental health. Some would argue too much and it's developing a weakness. But again, we're talking about the extremes. I advocate a gentle balance, a gentle integration more than balance. Because actually, if I may talk quickly, because it's been impressed upon my mind and heart. Balance sometimes gets spoke about too much in personal development and self-improvement things. I've realised I haven't been balanced. When I was fighting, I was all in. There was nothing balanced about that. When I love, I'm all there. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking. There's no balance. There's no balance. Be where you are with all of your heart, mind and soul, but in each moment. So actually, balance is a falsehood. What I seek, rather, is integration. So I can be fully present in a conversation, peaceful and kind. Fully present in the fight where I may be fighting for my life, illegally or legally. Fully present on the door. You understand this? This, this is integration rather than balance. Balance is, um, like so many things, I, I believe it becomes a mind vice, Eric. They become repeated so often by so-called good-intentioned, I'm sure, well-intentioned gurus and mentors, that they become accepted, but they haven't been examined. So please, dear listener, and, and for all of us, sometimes it's not balance we're actually seeking, but rather an integration and wholeness. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I keep being struck by, I mean, you, you speak with so much softness. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if that's the exact word, but that's the word that comes to mind where if I didn't know anything about this other side of you, um, I would imagine someone twice your age, overweight, who had probably no experience of of violence in their life and and very little experience of hardship. And in the world of of self-improvement and coaching, there's, to my mind, there there are a lot of charlatans, the people who who self-smoke, basically. Um, A lot of people who give all kinds of advice without having really lived through any of it, really knowing whether or not it works. Um, there seems to be this sort of, it's almost like a merry-go-round of, of people trying to help one another. I think, I've, you know, might as well just assume the best intentions or assume people are trying to help one another. But oftentimes it's, it's very ineffective because there's a base of, of fundamental human experience and wisdom that's, that's lacking. And it's, I just continually get struck by the way you speak sounds to me oftentimes as though it were from somewhere on that merry-go-round. But when I look at you and I see the, the intensity in your eyes, when I'm, I take into account this, this other aspect of your being, it seems to be coming from a very different place. And I guess I'm not really sure... I'm not sure how to ask you about that or how to get at that. I'm, I'm just, I'll just throw it out there that it's, it seems very unique to me and, and, and interesting. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious, you know, do you, how do you, how do you experience that? How does that, what comes up for you when I say that, for example, does that resonate with you? Does it seem realistic? How do you experience that? Well, I mean, having 
I, I agree. Uh, when you say about a lot of well-meaning people, but nevertheless, particularly some of the more famous ones, it's not predicated on hard-won experience. And of course, that there's no judgment there. Every man has to give account for his deeds, and, and, and it lives with you. It's, it's embodied, it's in spirit. So someone can, this is why you feel it. So they talk about in urban circles or, or within hip-hop communities, real, recognised, real. But there's a truth to that, because what you're energetically picking up on is the authenticity. You know, there's a lot of research now gone into the guts and how it's the, the second brain, extraordinary research. But that gut instinct, we listen to your gut, it's a real thing. What does that mean? Energetically, you're picking up on the authenticity. When it doesn't mean true for somebody else, it's because it's not embodied experience. We can say something, unless it's lived, you, that will resonate on the molecular level. With me, I just speak what I know, what I've experienced under the heavens. It's a beautiful thing, as I say, but my, any, any, any calmness, any peace, any nobility, any self-reflection you see on me, this has taken a tremendous amount of pain, bloodshed and violence to get here. So this is predicated, this is built upon something, something real. And that, if anything, is what, as, as I say, I have nothing, I often say I'm merely a mirror. Anything you recognise in me as being beautiful or truthful is your own self-awareness, your own knowledge coming to the fore. I'm merely reminding of you. Anything beautiful, anything that resonates, any so-called wisdom, it's, it's you. I don't own any of it. I'm merely reflecting back to you. And that's lovely, but also what's important, what's very important for you to recognise. Equally, anything you find distasteful, anything you don't like about me, anything that you may judge, that also you own that, my friend, because we don't want to look at that and it's easier to blame and point the finger. But I'm merely a mirror as is all of our hosts here on earth, they're a mirror reflecting back to you, yourself. And so, yes, I hear, I don't claim, I hear the praise of others at times. I also hear, I don't claim, take it to heart, the critique and the criticism, the hate. But all I know is I'm a mirror and they are merely projecting their own wounds and or wisdom onto me. So I'm here to live my life in service. I take no responsibility for anything you may or may not recognise. And it's simply your own self-awareness coming to the fore. And that's a wonderful thing. But I'm merely here to, to teach to the best of my ability to help the men that do trust in me enough to work with me in my capacity as teacher, mentor, personal trainer and life coach. And I serve with humility first and foremost, under God, under the heavens, with great humility. Most people are far too proud in a world full of iPhones and iPads and me first. No, no, no. I recognise very early on the privilege, and I repeat that word deliberately, Eric, the privilege of service, that I got a chance to wake up today and talk to you to provide hopefully some value to your clients, to the clients I work with, 
Today is a beautiful day to live, to love, to learn, to listen, to be kind. What an opportunity. This truly is a limited edition, one-off set of 24 hours. And I intend to make the most of my time here. And so, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And, and I'm learning along with you. I place myself no higher, equally as important, no lower than you or anyone I work with. We're all teachers. We're all students. There's a time for both. Yeah. And, and so it is. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I guess when, when the documentary about you was made, um, I think at that time you were, you were Mr. Happy, right? That was your, that was your thing. And it seemed to me kind of like from the, the depths of the, the anger, the fear, whatever, you were sort of on the other end of just like 100% full on happy, happy, happy. And now you seem to be somewhere in between, right? You seem to have found yes. more, more of a balance. What, what, yes, was that, no. what was that journey like for you? Yes, that, that, that's a tremendously piercingly insightful question because now with the benefit of hindsight, which is always 2020, that's exactly, I talk about the dangers of extremism. Many of us, myself included previously, Eric, I thought that really only applied to terrorist networks or religious organisations. But extremism actually is in thought first and foremost. And for me, I was over on the one side, extremely negative, violent, pessimistic and dangerous at one point. And I think in stark contrast for a time there, adopting this Mr. Happy persona was my reflexive attitude at renouncing that so wholesale that I unconsciously initially uh, came to the other side of the uh, spectrum, extremism. That wasn't damaging, for I did a lot of good, but for myself, again, rather than balance, it was incomplete. It wasn't healed, it wasn't integrated. And so what I've sought since is a Rather than the sides, this very disparate sides, this, this separate, I've worked both ends to the middle. And so therefore, having more of a circle. So I've smoothed off the edges, if you like, as the carpenter planes the wood to smoothen it. I've incorporated and therefore integrated both of the extreme sides of one's nature into a more harmonious combination where they're more friendly and at peace with one another. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and if you, if you could imagine yourself, I don't know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, um, looking at yourself today, what, what aspect of yourself do you think um, you would see as still needing integration? Beautiful question. True acceptance and forgiveness, genuine forgiveness, 
of those that actively seek to hurt me in word, shape or thought form. That, that I am I'm working on. Many times I say with my mouth, I've forgiven them. Many times it feels in my embodied practice, I have forgiven them. Sometimes practicing it in the moment or when you're reminded of the negativity that still is out there, of course, and can be directed at one, notwithstanding what I've already told you. I know it's a projected projection. I can intellectually know that. But sometimes, with great sensitivity, both the blessing and the curse comes to allowing it to touch one's heart occasionally. And so I would still choose to work on genuine forgiveness of not just of everyone and everything. Perhaps, dare I say, even myself. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. Even myself. Mm. Has that been a, a difficult journey for you? To, to come to forgive yourself, understand yourself? Yeah, forgiveness is a... Goodness me, we could talk. And perhaps, maybe... Maybe we will, uh, hopefully later, whether we record it or otherwise. For I truly have enjoyed this conversation. Forgiveness is a whole uh, separate three-hour, three-day topic. All I know, Eric, that the more I lean into forgiveness, both for myself and for others, the freer I am, bigger my heart grows. The more love, the more love, the more peace, the more gratitude, the more I forgive. I say it, I repeat it deliberately. This is becoming like a mantra for me. The more I forgive, the more I can love. The more I can love, the more I can forgive. And so it is. And it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it's very challenging. But, but yet, when I practice it with true intention, and it's miraculous. It's miraculous. So, uh, mm. yeah. And just to remind our friends listening, because for many years, I didn't walk the path of forgiveness for I didn't understand it. Uh, I, I cannot, I cannot forgive that person, not realising it's not something I do for the other person. It's something I do for me. And there's a beautiful example of this. I, I just want to share as it comes to mind. I believe there's, uh, as our friend Young said, there's no such thing as coincidence, but rather synchronicities. And we, if we but notice these synchronicities, our life changes for the better. I've just remembered something, and so I share it in the spirit of synchronicities. There were two monks seeking to cross a swollen riverbed and it was far, far too deep. And there was an elderly woman also by the side that asked to be carried across the river. And these monks had taken vows of celibacy to such an extent that they weren't even supposed to touch a lady. And yet, to the younger monk's astonishment, the older monk got the lady on his shoulders 
proceeded to cross the river, put her down at the other side, and continue upon his merry way. And the young monk was fuming internally. He was saying, how dare he? I cannot believe we've taken vows of celibacy. Does this mean nothing? He walked another mile and another mile. Still, he was fuming in his mind. Finally, Eric, he could put up with it no longer and screamed at his master. Master, you know we have taken vows of celibacy. And why did you carry that woman across the riverbed? And the master so wisely replied, my young friend, I put her down 15 miles ago. Why are you still carrying her? Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful story and you, you tell it very well. I was, I actually had the same story come to my mind and I'm really glad you told it rather than me because you, you give it a lot of, uh, a lot of power there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's, that's how it is, you know, and it's, you know, um, I think it was from the Buddha, uh, he said, uh, you know, uh, anger at someone is, is like uh, drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Mm -hmm. Well said. That's a beautiful way to close on the chapter of forgiveness. First, I say it is a large one, but in essence, it's a gift we give ourselves and not the other person. It's not necessary to forget, for you won't, but to forgive is necessary if we want to heal in this lifetime and seek integration that I spoke about at the top of this lovely conversation. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think we're, we're hitting on something a parallel to before, which is I think what stops a lot of people from forgiveness is fear that if I forgive, if I let it slide, then it's going to happen again. And I'm just going to be a doormat. Everyone's going to walk all over me. So I guess I'm, I'm curious in, in your journey, as you expand on your ability to, to love and to forgive, how do you find the rest of the world responding to that? Do you find people taking advantage of you more? Do you find that they have less of a desire to do so? Like How, do, how does that play out in the, in the real world? This is a... A beautiful thing, because many people, again, I talk about erroneous thinking earlier. We think life and people are happening to us. And when you overstand, understand and understand that life is reacting to you, to every thought, to every word, to every inflection and gesture, every behavior. So what does that mean? Nobody does anything to us nobody i repeat nobody deliberately takes advantage of you you and may allow them to take advantage of you that's a profound difference we're no victims we're no victims we disempower ourselves if we don't establish and create healthy boundaries that's what a good martial artist does i learned that in fighting you keep distance on the door you're okay here if I allow you closer with dangerous intent, I've lost that. I've, we need to keep that boundary. So in the same way as we do that physically, mentally, we create boundaries to protect our peace of mind and heart. So sometimes that means saying no. No is not a dirty word. Saying no to the toxic relationships. 
to the toxic family member, to the party you don't want to go to, to that drink that you don't really want to consume, to the food that you know intrinsically is no longer serving you, to say no. So nobody can overstep your life without your permission. So when we begin to understand this, we take back the power. Boundaries, very important. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And I know, I know you've got to, got to stop in just a few minutes. So maybe we can, well, I guess I'll, I'll just ask you quickly if there's anything else you want to add, any, any questions, any comments, anything at all? Well, Eric, I truly do thank you for this time. I hope just some of what I have shared is useful to both yourself and the listener. God willing, and if you are able to spare the time, I would like to continue the conversation, both with yourself privately, as I already have grown to have such an affinity with you, your energy, your outlook on life, but also for your audience. And with that being said, if, if, they, if they want to continue learning more about me, I have a YouTube channel where currently there are well north of over 700 videos on a variety of topics, simply under James Lambert Coaching. The same as my website, www.jameslambertcoaching.co.uk. You can find me on Instagram and my Facebook public page, all under the same. It would be an absolute honour to continue the conversation there or for people to, to like and subscribe to my various pages and so on and so forth. I always answer all the comments personally and indeed any and all inquiries through the website, Eric. I also do have a couple of books floating about on Amazon in all countries. Simply you can search under James Lambert and just one of the titles I can think of is Unstoppable. I think that's been my best-selling one and perhaps be happy in 24 hours. But yes, I'd be absolutely honoured if people would like to um, continue following my work there. And I think above all else, just be open. Just be open to your magnificent potential. And I do know, I don't have to be psychic to know that a lot of people listening today, Eric, will be struggling privately. It could be with their finances or a personal issue with depression or anxiety, their health or relationships. But please believe in your ability to figure things out. Trust, trust, trust God, yes, but trust in your amazing innate intelligence. And just some of the ways we can get in touch with that, which is why I'm so enamored and a fan of your work, is returning to nature for she is amongst some of our best teachers here on earth. Get quiet, go for a walk and listen to that quiet intuition. For it is there, but it is quiet. It doesn't shout, it's not loud, but you will hear it again in the silence. But with that being said, thank you so much for your time. And it's been a real privilege talking to you today, Eric. Yeah, thank you, James. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Thank you very much. Thank you.